I've watched before, I haven't watched in a while, but it's, it's Ten Cups. It's a story uh, about a golfer that is really talented but has done nothing. And, uh, but he ends up getting this opportunity to play in the U.S. Open. And right before the first round, his thing, it shows a part and he says, right before he's about to hit, it says, be humble. And um, he ends up playing terrible. And, and at the end of the, the round, his, his caddy tells him, yeah, you're humble now. Right? Because he didn't play good. He's a great player, yet it didn't happen. And see, what we see in that story is this, this point where he reached the pinnacle of what he wanted to do. He had, he had had a second chance, if you will, and this was to be a defining moment in his life. And, and what we see in that movie is what we actually do all the time is, is we try to achieve humbleness instead of just accepting it. And, and he tried to, to make himself humble. He tried to lower himself in importance as to say, I'm not worthy of this. But yet, in doing that, he was actually not humble. And, and, and we often think, just like the, the person in this movie, that this humble attitude is something that we can just achieve. That, that when we try to humble ourselves, that we're doing it. And we, we feel that if we'll humble ourselves, then we can be more appreciative to the, the gifts that we think we deserve. If we're at this defining moment in our lives, if we can just make ourselves humble, then we'll be able to appreciate that. We'll, we'll see what it is we get. But, but that's not what Paul reveals in the gospel. That, that we're not humbled because of what we see happening, but we're humbled because of what God did for us. And that's when we see this first way that, that the gospel humbles us in our salvation. Look at verse 8 with me again. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. By grace. Here, here Paul answers the, the how of salvation, if you will. As he did earlier in verse 5. Verse 5 we saw that it's by grace you're saved. Again, it, that that grace here now is how we are saved. How are we able to be saved? Because God is gracious. God is grace. Grace is this unmerited favor. It's something that comes to us rather than from us. But if there's a how to our salvation, then there has to be a means. If, if we're saved because God is gracious, so how is that then applied to our lives? And that's what Paul answers that next part. It says, through faith. So we see right here in the first part, just those first few words of verse 8, that, that grace is the how of salvation, but faith is the, the means which we are saved. So we're able to be saved because of grace, but we're able to be saved because of grace applied to us through faith. If you don't have both of those, then you don't have either. And so what we see when we look at this whole passage, when we, and the first thing that always happens, if you look at verse 1, you see that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. The next logical question then is, okay, so how, am I, how do I get out of that? How am I saved then? And that's what Paul answers here in verse 8. He, he re-answers it. He's, he's answered it again, but he wants to put emphasis. It's like it's not enough to say what I've said. I'm going to say it again. And that's what, he, that's what he does in verse 8, is he answers the, and how then am I saved? You're saved by grace through faith. And we see that, we, we see that. We see that salvation has already come to those who believe. Look at it. It's by grace you have been saved. You have been saved through faith. 
This is not something that's ongoing. Salvation's not, the salvation process is a one-time thing. Sanctification and how you grow through your life is a completely other thing. And this is not what Paul's saying. He's saying, by grace you have been saved. When it's applied to you, when that grace is applied to you through faith, you are saved. But we, we need to look at this and not make the mistake that so many people do in seeing that, okay, so God is gracious, then we're going to apply that universally to all people. And that's not what Paul's saying here. When he says, by grace you have been saved through faith, if we take out the through faith, then yes, you could say that it's this universal application. And, and so many times people take God's grace as evidence that, that he's going to save all people. Well, if he's gracious, then everyone's going to be saved. At some point, everyone's going to come to that knowledge. But that's not what Paul says here. We, hear, we see here that grace is the how of salvation, but it's applied through faith. So apart from faith, salvation's not obtainable. We don't simply see that God's gracious and, and are saved. And um, in, in his commentary on this, um, Harold Honer states with this in mind, says, for the salvation that was purchased by Christ's death is universal in its provision but not universal in its application. One is not automatically saved because Christ died. And what he's saying there and what he's referring to is that through faith, if you don't have faith in Christ, then salvation is not applicable to you. Just because Christ died doesn't mean everyone is saved because the grace that is on display in the cross is only applied through the faith in who he is. So God's grace isn't a universal application, but it's a universal provision. We are saved by grace, but that grace is applied to our lives through faith. John Stott um, says here in this verse that we have three words foundation, foundational to the Christian life. Grace, faith, and salvation. That all three of those are foundational to our lives. But here's where Paul Kind of, kind of trips us up. He says, it's not of your own doing. And, and a lot of times we, we've seen this, that when people read this, that we see, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. And, and a lot of times, myself included, I used to teach it this way, we say that that this, and that second part of verse 8, is applying to the faith. So we say, it's through faith, and this, this being the faith, is not your own doing. And that's not necessarily incorrect, but it's not complete. And, and as I was, I was reading through this and studying more, you actually see when you get into the language that, that this, just by the way the sentence is structured, actually applies to everything before. So the this is not just faith. It is faith, but it's also salvation. And it's also grace. And so here's where we see this, this humbling of ourselves that instead of faith just being not of our own doing, we actually see the entirety of salvation is not of our own doing. And that's where the mystery of salvation falls. If grace is the means of salvation, it must be applied to our lives through faith. But that's a result to result in salvation. It's not universal. It's through faith. So how do we gain this faith? Well, it was given to us. It was given to us. And that's what Paul's saying here, is that there's nothing of your own doing. You, this humbles us. It puts us lower in this. We, we, we just have faith that it works. We don't have all the answers. The Bible is not supposed to give us all the answers. It speaks to us. 
It's not a go-to and have every question of life answered. It's a go-to and reveal who Christ is in your life so that then you can walk in that. Um, I, was, I was thinking, trying to think through faith because it's such a, it, it, it is such an abstract thing. A lot of times we don't understand what it is. And it made me think of the movie Castaway. Sorry, I was just thinking of movies, I guess, this whole time. Um, but in the movie Castaway, you see that, that Tom Hanks, he was on the FedEx plane, it crashed, and then he was on the island for, I don't know, however long. Um, but, but in there, there's one part where he's trying to make fire. And he's rubbing the sticks together. And, it, and really, we see in there a glimpse of what, what our faith is like. Because he knew what he was supposed to do. He, he, he knew that this would work. He had faith that this would work. He needed fire, and so he did what he'd always heard had happened. And eventually, he, he made fire. And you can see the funny thing where he's like, Behold, look what I've created and all this crazy stuff going on. But, but what I want you to see in that is that as we see a picture of what saving faith actually is, we can apply that same type of lesson to what we have today. And, and really, this is what um, we see that saving faith actually is. What does it consist of? Okay? Um, James Montgomery Boyce um, says that saving faith, can, saving faith consists of three things. One is knowledge. You have to know. You have this knowledge. For us, that's the gospel. You have to know what you're going to have faith in. You have to know. You, if you don't know what it is you're going to have faith in, then obviously you can't have faith. So there's this knowledge aspect to saving faith. We have to understand it. That's why we go to the gospel. That's why we go to the word. We want to gain knowledge and understanding. But there's also a response. It's not just knowledge in itself. Faith isn't merely this intellectual assent to where I, I understand now, so I all of a sudden believe. No, there's this response to it, meaning that it, that, that knowledge then has to take root. If it doesn't, if that knowledge isn't internalized and take root in your heart, then you're not going to have the faith to move forward. It's just merely this intellectual thing that's going to leave you in that current condition. You might know what it is, but it doesn't mean anything. It's not impactful in your life. So there, there's this response, and that response is that truth, that knowledge taking root in your heart. And then finally, there's a commitment. There's a commitment aspect of saving faith, and that's where you cast yourself on the object of your faith. For us, that's where we cast ourselves onto Christ. So we have this knowledge of what he did. We, we hear the gospel. We understand that, that we were dead in our trespasses, but God sent his son to live the life that we couldn't, the life without sin, and to die the death that we deserved. We, we understand that, but then we, we, we take it into our hearts. We, we root that into our hearts and know that it's in that truth, it's in that knowledge then that we are saved. And then the commitment part of this saving faith is when we place ourselves securely in him. Our identity then is securely in Christ as the object of our faith. See, if faith is the means of the application of God's grace, then we have to be ready to admit that all the parts of salvation are given to us by God. If, if they're not given to us by God, then is that application completely about God? No. But we see that it is a gift. We see in Scripture, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave the salvation is a gift that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever has faith in him, should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin and death, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life. And even another way in Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. It's been granted to us to believe. So here, in, in all of those, we see that salvation is because of grace applied to us by faith, but it was all given to us. The Son was given to us because we have a Father that loves us. We don't have the wages of sin anymore because they were poured out on the Son. And then it's been granted to us that we shouldn't only believe in Him, but we should suffer for His sake. The meaning we're completely attached to Him. In this realization, when we see that completely, that salvation, everything about salvation, the faith, the grace, the application of that to us has been given to us, that's how we can then see ourselves humbled by salvation because it lowers us in the importance of that. And that's what the gospel does. It says, and that's what Paul's saying here, it says that by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. When we see that and we take that into our hearts and we let that root in our lives, we see that we are humbled by the gospel because it puts us lower than Christ. And that's not a negative thing, which we think, but it's not. But when we see the gospel, we see its origins are in God, not ourselves. And that there humbles us below him. And it puts us in our rightful place within the, the chain of how salvation works. It's not found in us. It's not of our doing. It's a gift of God. But then the gospel doesn't leave us there. And, and Paul doesn't leave it there either. We see in verse 9, or we can read the second part of verse 8. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one can boast. And see here, Paul continues and shows us then, not only does the gospel humble us in salvation, but it also humbles us in our view of ourselves. It humbles us in ourself. And so we see that salvation is not of our own doing. So we're not saving ourselves, but then also that it's not a result of works. So that there's no room to verse, to, to boast. When we look at the way this flows together, we see that we're completely excluded from the, from the equation. If it's not a result of our own doing, salvation is not of our own doing, it's a gift, then what we would do naturally is then we start thinking, well, maybe it's because of something that I've done. God sees what I'm going to be, sees that I'm going to choose him or do that, so he's going to offer me salvation. Well, then that would put part of salvation on us. And so Paul says, no, it's not a result of works. Salvation is completely from God. It's not a result of works, so no one can boast. It isn't given because of who we are. It's given because of who he is. That no one may boast. And right there, what Paul is getting at is the heart of, our, of, of man. That if salvation were at any point from us, or if any part of salvation could find its origin in what we do, then we would definitely boast about it. And, and that boasting, we'd bring glory to ourselves instead of to God. And, and we're quick to look at our, our, our accomplishments. I mean, think about it that every meaningless task that we do these days, we're proud of. That's evidence in the world that we live in with the digital age. That's all Facebook is, is, hey, look at what I've done. Not completely, I'm exaggerating, but you, you see that. The majority of what we talk about is something that we've done. The, the, what we have done naturally comes to the forefront. And Paul's saying that we can't do that with salvation. And, and this is just who we are. And we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. I have a habit of sending pictures of um, where I'm eating to friends that don't get to eat there. 
And it's like, look at the choice I made, right? You don't you wish you could have this? And, or even if I'm grilling, not that I grill all the time or that I'm the exceptional thing, I'm like, hey, look at this. And it's just this, but, but when I, if you look at it, all that is is me boasting what I've done, whether it's me actually cooking or the choice that I made to go somewhere, which when you think about it, it seems kind of pointless to say, look what I get to go. It's like, what did you do? You drove there, you know? But still, I made that choice, and that's what we would do. We, we boast in our accomplishments. That's what we do. We have pride so easy in what we do. And that's not to say that we shouldn't. And you don't, don't think that what I'm saying here is that you shouldn't be proud of what you should be proud. But you should be proud of what you do because you were given the ability to do it in God, not because you did it yourself. And that's the difference. That's where the gospel flips us is that we, our pride shouldn't be rooted in who we are. Our pride should be rooted in who he is. That's the same idea we talked about um, a few weeks earlier when we talked through Paul's prayer in, in chapter one, that the direction of our lives, what Paul's saying here is that's not a result of work so no one can boast. What he's saying is, no, you shouldn't boast in yourself, but you should be thankful of what he's given you. We should boast in ourselves. He actually, he says that, 2 Corinthians uh, 10. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He says again in 1 Corinthians, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's not boasting in ourselves, it's boasting in who he is. All the way back, if we go back to the Old Testament, Jeremiah 9. This is, this is the Lord speaking in 9.24. Jeremiah 9.24 says, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So the gospel reminds us that anything we have is in Christ alone. And if we are to boast in that, we should be boasting in the Lord. We should point towards him. We should see that boast in him, that see that he's the one with steadfast love. He's the only one that has love that doesn't waver. That, you can't find that in us. Our love is subjective so often. It's selfish. We should see that he's the only one where true justice is found. He's the only one that is righteous in the earth. That's what he's saying in Jeremiah, that boast in that. Boast that where love is found is me. Boast that if there's justice to be served, it only happens through me. And that righteousness, this setting apart this holiness is only found in me. And that's what the gospel reminds us of. And that's what Paul's saying here. That it's not a result of works. There's nothing that we did that gained us salvation. So there's nothing that we can boast in the gospel because we didn't apply anything of it to our lives. Salvation is not our doing, meaning we can't save ourselves. It's not us. It's a gift from a gracious and loving father. It's a gift that's not a result of what we're going to do, how we're going to respond to it. It's a gift freely given to us in his son. Therefore, we should boast in him and not ourselves. John Stott summed it up this way. I thought this was funny, um, talking about boasting. He says that we shall not be able to strut around in heaven like peacocks. I saw that was a funny quote. It's like, you can't strut around because there's no reason to boast because nothing that we did got us there. I just thought it was funny. I don't think I could ever have written that sentence that we shall not be able to strut around in heaven like peacocks, but it applies. It, 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 real, it reveals the, the heart of salvation that, that when we are in heaven, the end result, when we're in his presence for eternity, there's nothing that we did to get us there. There's nothing that we did to get us there. It was all an action 
on God's part. That's why Paul can say it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. There's nothing that we can boast in salvation about because we did nothing to get it. And then finally, we see here that the gospel humbles us in our service. Okay, so we understand who we are in Christ. We're, we're, we're secure in our identity in Christ. What does that do with our life? How does our life look different from the world? Because if we realize it's not of us, then we should be different. We should be perceived differently than the world. And that's what we get to in verse 10. In verse 10, what does he say? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so to tag along with what Paul just stated, he reveals that not only is salvation a gift of God, but not based on works, but we ourselves are actually God's workmanship. We see that we're created in Christ. We're his workmanship. So that's going to change how then we live our lives because we're new in Christ. Our lives look different. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In, in Galatians 6, 15, he says another way. He says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. He's saying it's not by the law that, that you were saved in that symbol, but it's not also the Gentiles who don't have that. It's a new creation. A new creation in what? In Christ. We are God's workmanship created in Christ. And John 3, Jesus is, is talking to Nicodemus. He's talking about salvation. And he says in John 3, 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And he says, Do not marvel that I said that to you. You must be born again. And what he's talking about there is for us to enter into heaven, for our lives to go on the trajectory that he's called us, we have to be born again. We have to be created new. Because if we're not created new, then we'll continue to walk in our death and trespasses following the course of this world. That's what Paul's getting at in the first two verses of this passage. We're dead in our trespasses and sin until when we're made alive in Christ. And we see that, that we are created in Christ. We're, we're God's workmanship. God created us in Christ. He molded us new. That's where we see the difference in God's works and ours. See, when God creates and God works, new things are born. When we work, we just rearrange the pieces. We don't create anything new. We just simply reposition it. And that's what we see. That's when we see in verse 10 that the salvation precedes the good works. It's not works lead to salvation. It's salvation then leads to works. Why? Because we are created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. See, that's what he said. At salvation, when God's grace is applied to us by faith, we're a new creation in Christ. And that new creation then will proceed with good works. It's after salvation because these works are prepared beforehand. Look at that. That just as Jesus prepared wonderful blessings that we see in, in verse 3, Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He chose us before the foundation of the world. So just as God prepared all these wonderful blessings for us in Christ, he also prepared good works for us in Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here in verse 10. 
We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, that we should walk in them, and that's something that's wonderful there, is that when we are in Christ, we will walk in those good works because they were prepared beforehand for us. And see, that's where we, we get humbled in our service because this isn't something that we've thought up. Serving others isn't something we thought of. No, that's been prepared beforehand because that's what God did to us in the gospel. Is the gospel says, you were unlovable, yet I loved you. So now we can, through the gospel, see that there's people that are unlovable so we can love them because that's what we were given. We can fight for justice. We can fight for justice for those because that's what was done to us. The problem is that when we start here, this what we see is that if we're created for these good works, prepared beforehand, the problem is once we start living in that, we forget the gospel. Our eyes are taken away from the prize Jesus and start learning back, looking back towards ourselves. And so as we continue to move forward, as have we, we start serving people, we're meeting people's needs, all of a sudden what happens is if, we not, if we're not careful is, is we see the gospel fading into the background and us fading into the fore. And that's not what we see here is that if we take our eyes off of Jesus, we start to look at what we're doing. And that's not anything what he said here is that we're created in Christ for good works. If we're in Christ, there will be good works. If we're in Christ, our life will be of service to others because that's what we've been created for in him. It's been prepared forehand, beforehand. And so what happens though is we forget that part of the gospel and we think, look what we did. We forget this humble attitude that the gospel has for us and we start thinking, I'm doing this pretty good. We start comparing people. And so, but we have to remind ourselves that not only is, his, is salvation a result, not a result of our effort, but neither, neither are the good works that flow from our lives. It's the gospel empowering us by humbling us in our service, allowing us to see who we truly are. That's where, that's where the heart of this is in verse 10. We are his workmanship. We're created new in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in now. So, and that, that's what we see. And Paul says it the, the same way he says it differently in Romans 12, a, a popular passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, the, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, what he's saying there is that our bodies will become living sacrifices when we walk in the good works prepared beforehand, but we'll only walk in those good works prepared before us when our minds are transformed. It says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal. That transformation is that we're created new in Christ. And so there's nothing that we do that we get credit for. The good works that we do, and we should. As, as a body, we should go love people that are unlovable. Why? Because the gospel tells us that that's what God did for us. We should feed those that are hungry. We should, all of those are good, and they should be there. If they're not visible, then we'd have to ask ourselves, do you really understand the gospel? 
Because right here he says, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if we're in Christ and are not walking in good works, are you really found in Christ? Paul would say no. But if we truly understand the gospel, and we see that the gospel, we're humbled even in how we serve because it puts us down, then we're never going to get to the point where it's our works that define who we are. It's always going to be Christ who defines who we are. Legalism, saying you have to do this and this, will never find its way in. Because at the heart of legalism, when we're comparing each other by what we do, if we're truly humbled by the gospel in our service, we'll know that it's not by our power at all. It's God working in us. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2.13. It says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. It's God's power at work in us. Our good works aren't done by our power. It's by his empowering us to go out. It's God's power on display in our life, not through our efforts, but through his. And that's where we get a natural self-check. What does your life look like? Is it the gospel propelling, propelling you outwards to others? Is it seeing the gospel that's presented here in Scripture, throughout Scripture, not just right here? That, is it the gospel that you see here that's empowering you to go out? Or is it by somehow you wanting to, to know that you're doing it right that you're going out? Because if it's not a, a gospel motivation, then it's a, a self-motivation. And that's not what God has done for us here. That's not what we see. And see, the problem then is that if we look at our lives and we don't see that we're really doing anything, most people would say, well, then just do something. Find someone to serve so that you can start serving because that's what we're called to do. Or get involved in some sort of ministry. See what we're doing and get involved in that so that you can start having this. Because it says that if we're in Christ, then, then we should have we should be walking in these good works that God's prepared for us. So if you're not, then start doing something. Find someone to serve. Find a ministry to get involved in. I say all those are great, but before you do all those, if, if your life isn't producing the, these good works that are going out because of the gospel, then that's where you need to start. You need to seek and search out the person of Christ revealed to us in the gospel before you can have the works. Otherwise, you're not doing it for the right motivation anyways. That's where the Paul's prayer again comes in. In, in verse 15, when he starts there, what does he ask God to do? He asks God to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So if our lives aren't producing these works, if we don't see that outpouring of the gospel that we've been giving, outpouring to others because we understand who we are in the gospel, then you need to seek him more. You don't need to do more service. You need to seek the person that empowers us. It's not just go do something. No, it's ask God to give you that knowledge, that spirit of revelation and knowledge of who Christ is because then you'll be empowered to go out. Because then you'll understand who you truly are. That's when we're humbled in our service because we know it's not about us. We're lowered in our importance. Even in our service, everything points to him. Christ isn't found through our good works. Our good works are found in him. That's what the gospel says, is that you're created in Christ. 
because that's what I've prepared beforehand. And there's gonna be works that come out of that because I've prepared them. And Christ is gonna give you the power to live in them. It's not the good works that, that, that find Christ. The good works are found in him. And that's completely different than what the world says. But that's the only truth that we've been given is that in Christ we have everything. That's not a result of works. It's not of our own doing. So there's no reason to boast. We simply live through that power and point glory to him because that's who gave it to us. That's who loved us when we were unlovable. That's who fed us when we needed to be fed, who clothed us, who brought us in. And so we should do that to all those people because that's what we've been done by our Father. He brought us in, therefore we should bring people in because in Christ, that's what we've been prepared to do. And it's in his power that we do that. Let's pray.